Welcome to the Prepare to Win podcast. I'm your host, Justin Oliver, here as always with Dane Lee. Uh, today's just going to be a basic uh, Q&A. We're going to go over uh, a couple questions that we had. <clears throat> We're going to fire right into it here. Um, one of the questions that came through was about, it's kind of a couple part question, the same question, but building a lifting team, deciding who to take on as a client. Sorry, I forgot to silence my phone. It started ringing while I'm trying to read this. <laughs> okay, building a lifting team, deciding who to take on as a client, deciding um, coaches to bring in, things like that. Um, this one obviously has multiple parts to it, and there's a bunch of different ways we can um, go through this. But first on, you know, building a lifting team, I'll say that, you know, when we started and opened the gym, um, we, you know, I, I started the gym and I had my clients that kind of came over from the gym I was working at before and I, you know, gained some new ones pretty quickly. Um, the gym grew pretty quick and we started to kind of develop what I would consider, you know, a powerlifting team. Um, we've never really um, tried to label it, you know, so much as like, you know, the Olympic Weightlifting Club here has a club. They all do pretty, you know, there's USAW has pretty much this you know, same meets, it's the same federation, whereas we have a bunch of different federations. Um, they all train together, and that's the only way for the most part that they do train, um, unless Dan's not here, unless their schedule doesn't fit. So um, while we have sort of, you know, a powerlifting team, um, we have, I guess, more of a powerlifting culture, I'll call it. Um, and I would say, you know, a team in general is more around the people that we train. Um, I wanted, there's not too many people that we haven't trained um, that really come into the team per se as much. Um, it, it's kind of one of those things that's harder to explain. But uh, for the most part, the people that aren't coached by us tend to be flies on the wall. Um, they tend to, you know, if they ask questions here and there, fine. Um, some support, some don't. It's It's been kind of up and down there. So, yeah, some have sort of been part of the team, I guess you could say, and some really haven't. So it's kind of on them. And this is something we've been talking about a lot lately, um, about building community within the gym. Yeah, You know, that's 100% on the members within a gym. So, you know, ownership can have a basic, you know, layout, provide this the, the equipment necessary, provide the hours necessary, mm -hmm. you know, as a structure for the business. But um, for the most part, sure, we can try to lead by example and we can try to build, you know, people together. We can be friendly and have certain rules like we have. Like if you're an asshole, you get kicked out, you know, things like <laughs> that. Um, but for the most part, building a team and building uh, that base of community, that's, that's on the individual members to build that themselves. So, um, you know, it's, it, we can build that and we, we do have people that are very loyal, um, very, you know, team oriented people. Um, but it's not really on us to build that. That's on the, the community in general to build that. So, um, which is a really good point because I think when you look at something like the Olympic weightlifting club here, when you look at even something like CrossFit, like they require a structure in order for the learning to happen and within that requirement like the community takes place because of the people like having to be there like you know like you said 
Dan's here certain hours when he coaches the weightlifters. And so they are forced to be here at a certain time and they want to be here during these times because in their minds, if they want to learn, they need that coach. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if they want to have a class within CrossFit, what do they have to do? They have to show up at a certain time. time. And then what I see happening as you know, somewhat of an outsider within powerlifting, I see the people who are powerlifters and I see the people who do the lifts. Exactly. Yeah. And they come Two in, they're times. like, well, I don't need help with squat, bench, and deadlift. I'm just doing them in order to get strong without realizing that there is a massive benefit to the point mm-hmm. of basically a necessity. If you want to get good at them, you need structure. You need coaching. And like you said, you put out times on when you have coaches there to help out with it. You put out times on your training hours, and you put out times on um, when there are groups of people like Squat Sunday. Yeah. It's very consistent. You know, you might have some fluctuation at what time on Sunday, but mm-hmm. you know if it's Sunday in the afternoon, people are squatting. And, you know, the thing is that with, like you touched on, with, with you know, it's squat, it's bench, it's deadlift. It doesn't seem overly complicated, but it is. Right. Um, if you want to be good. Yes. If we, I mean, we have people that come in from other gyms. We have people coming from other coaches. We have people coming from CrossFit. You know, it, if it was so easy, then why have these people been lifting for four or five years and they don't know the basics right. of how to walk a squat out, how to breathe, how to brace, how to root, how to, you know, actually perform the movement uh, efficiently. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> a lot of people like, you know, with the Olympic lifting, it is more technical and it is something that having that eye really does help. But as Dan will tell you, and the same as we'll tell you, there's only so much cueing we can give you Mm -hmm. um you have to still learn it on your own but for some reason people think that because they squat bench deadlift send in a video from one angle you know once a week (laughs) on one or two sets that that's that's fine that's completely fine don't need to be in the atmosphere don't need to be there in the moment to get maybe a roundabout look um you know don't need that that extra uh, motivation because it's just squat bench deadlift right and generally those people aren't very good so um yeah that's something that's highly frustrating when i watch uh i, I mean god we could the list of wasted talent that has came through here is unbelievable mm-hmm. um people that could have been very very good had they chose to be coached by us had they chose to immerse themselves within the the culture and stick to the people that were a little bit better in here um, you know, now those people don't even lift uh, for the most part, or, you know, there's people that are in here that are just wasting their time. So, um, you know, it's all, it's their lifting, it's their life and it's their choice. So, um, you know, as far as building a culture, building a team, that's, that's on the, the membership in general. And that's on those people. Uh, for example, in, you know, Colorado, where I have, the uh, four clients inside of one gym out there mm-hmm. that started with one person. Right. And those people all have helped each other. You know, during the COVID, they had, you know, lifters co- coming to other lifters' houses to be able to lift and things like that. Yep. Like, um, so they've built their own little small community, all coached by me within this one little gym or whatever. Um, so, you know, that that's something that's on on the members and on the, those people to actually build. Yeah, like team. once the coach has made the effort to put out the resources, which yeah. you've done, like time and uh, coaching availability mm-hmm. and, you know, times when you're going to be lifting. come lift with me. I mean, yeah, once you've of, done the that, amount of tips that it's their I've thrown out just why I'm lifting, like, hey, do this, hey, do that. Hey. Yeah. 
saw this, maybe think about this, the, um, you know, programming questions I've answered, things like that. But if you're not willing to take advantage of it, then, you know. Yeah. The offhand knowledge that I've received, and like I'm not a power lifter. Um, I, I do the, the big lifts because they help me out with gymnastics. Like there's mm-hmm. a really strong carryover. But there have been times when you've come out to ask me a question completely unrelated to any lifting or recovery whatsoever. It's just like, hey, you know, when you're done, can you make sure you gr- close the garage door? Something simple. And you'll throw a tidbit in there like, hey, check your feet. Because it's instinctive as a coach that when you see it, you want to help give a correction. Yeah. That those little bits of knowledge, when you weren't even meaning to create an opportunity for it, were very helpful. Now imagine if someone such as yourself said, hey, on these two days during these hours, I'm going to focus on making that a priority for you. It is the lifter's responsibility at that point to then take advantage of that to show up at that time and to you know yeah. seek that knowledge like it's their responsibility to create the community right there and we've um in the past like we've we've done that where we you know we have our strength coaching group um and we try to create it just for power lifters um i think you know our, our price point is very very fair but because it's not dirt cheap you won't get a lot of people in it because people don't value that time and what's actually kind of funny is there's people that they don't realize it. They pay more to the to the gym each month. They were you know we're not doing it now, but mm-hmm. um, like that that option's just gone. It's out the door. But before, what they didn't realize is they were actually paying more to not come to the class. Mm-hmm. So I'll say that even whether you want to come or not, all you had to do is sign up for it. You would have been paying a cheaper rate. So there's one and two. Even if you showed up two or three times a month, it was going to greatly benefit yeah. you. But these people, you know, they chose not to. So. Um, as far as bringing in coaches, um, that's a hard one, you know, in, in who deciding who to take on as a client, I push away probably more clients than I take on anymore. Um, I let the gym absorb most of them. Um, you know, I let the other coaches handle that or, um, you know, some people they'll ask, you know, prices and stuff. And if if they're not willing to pay that price, I'm not willing to coach them. That's how it is. Um, and, and just I, I try to focus more on competitors anymore. I do have uh, people that are just it, it, my thing is if you don't waste my time, you're gonna work hard. You're gonna do what I ask you to yeah. do. Um, then I'll probably take you on. And there's people that I've had around for years that aren't competitors anymore or aren't competitors at all, but they work hard and, yeah. and they do everything that they need to do um, for themselves and to not waste my time. So um, you know that one is. I guess if I'm looking at the basis of it is I try to, you know, investigate like what's their lifting background, mm-hmm. what level they're at, what their attitude is towards training, um, you know, what their life general lifestyle is, things like that. Yeah. Um, and there's people that quickly turn that around too. Like if I see potential in somebody, then mm-hmm. sure, I'll, I'll take the chance and we'll, we'll go at it. But yeah, um, you know, it is what it is. The uh, bringing coaches in. I mean, we've obviously found right, we that one. Um, we've, we've messed up on that one a, a time or two. But but I think um, that, again, uh, as an outside contractor within the business, having watched some of the decisions that mm. you have or haven't made, I think you have made some really good ones, too. Yeah, you know, yeah it's, you know, it's some of those. Sometimes you just um, – it's like hiring in any other field. You, you, you know, people will put on a front. 
and um, then you actually get to see their their work. So mm -hmm. while someone might blow away the interview and have some credentials, but you know when, once they get into the job market and you start to watch them work, then you start to get a better picture of who they actually are. Um, okay, so hypothetically, so, I come to you and I give. Uh, uh, let's say a mediocre interview, mm -hmm. uh, good enough that you're willing to give me a shot. What do you want to see within the first month? Work ethic. Just work ethic. Showing up, doing you know the the little extra things when you're not really asked to do them, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, the I know people are gonna fuck up, so like the little things like. Um, you know, maybe when they were walking someone through a membership, they forgot to tell them something yeah. that's going to happen. Or, um, you know, maybe they s screwed up a charge, even though it cost me money to fix it. Okay. Like, mm -hmm. You know, your new system or whatever. Um, but I try to have them ask more questions than, um, then go about their own way and screw it up and then all of a sudden, you know, and then I have to come in and fix it later yeah. rather than ask the question first. But mainly I, the, the first, you know, little while I want to see work ethic. I want to see drive. I want to see them start to try to, if we give them people, them treat those clients yeah. well and do what they're supposed to do, do their job. But then also I like to see them, like if they're pulling in people um, from outside the gym to come train here and they're building their, their themselves kind of their yep. own little brand in a way, then you know i like to watch that kind of grow um but you know what we'll see a lot of times is you know start, people start out well and then they just lose all drive they don't yeah. really bring much value actual value to the facility actually funny story that we're talking about this i just ran a, um <laughs> i just ran a cost or a, a cost a revenue analysis on the facility mm -hmm. so i ran a revenue analysis on where the revenue for the gym is coming from. And it was actually kind of interesting mm -hmm. um, where it was coming from. And then I started thinking about some of the old hires we had. Yeah. And I look at how, how they were pretty much dead weight. They weren't bringing in, like the amount wow. they were bringing in was equal to like two or 3% revenue, which is put it in perspective. My coaching accounts for 22% of the revenue for this business. Damn. Um, members, just member, you know, general mm -hmm. is the highest, obviously. Um, this is just general um, members. This isn't any type of training or anything. Yeah. They account for like 30, uh, this is students and, you know, everything combined. Um, just that, that charge there counts for 31%. Now they might have training on top of that general membership or whatever. So I started yeah. seeing where's the training coming from? Mm -hmm. Like where, you know, who's who's producing who's not yeah you know and all that. and it, it the the coaches that we have in here are actually kind of even i thought it was kind of interesting to, to do it all um which i knew just because from paying them i yeah. knew they're all you know right around the same boat but when um, you start seeing the hard numbers on it yeah so you start seeing like where you know each person is and, and the, it, it's good that they at least account for what I would figure they account for. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a good sign. Um, but like I look back at like some of these other people and it's like, you know, some of them we gave a, a long, long time to. And, yeah. and they have certain roles here and there, but it's like we were actually paying them to do things that we shouldn't have been really paying them. And that's where I learned, you know, a little bit of business. It's like we were paying them to do things that weren't really bringing value back to the gym at all. Right. And we were paying for services that, 
we should have just never had that service mm-hmm. and let it be. You know what I mean? So that um, lesson learned in hindsight, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not to go off on a, a tangent with it too much, but there is that necessity as the business owner where it's like, are right, we're going to take a chance to see if in the long run mm-hmm. this does grow into something? Yeah. You know, you're spending money initially to hopefully make more money. Yeah. You know, down the road, and that didn't work out yeah. with a handful of them. Um, you brought up an interesting point with it where I think another thing, the few times that I've been involved with uh, helping other people look at hires is accountability. Mm-hmm. Like, are they able to take responsibility for when they mess up? Because like you said, they're going to. Yeah. You are going to make a mistake. Um, and are they the type of person that is going to come to you and say, hey, I messed up? Even the, the small thing, yeah. not like ratting themselves out like every single time, but are they yeah. the type of person who can you know, have the maturity to say i messed up on this one thing how do i not do that next time yeah and i would, I would rather see that than find out you know later that they screwed up and it cost us money or it cost us right. a client or it cost us a member or whatever and it could have been something that was resolved because i you know i have had to give uh discount uh credit uh refund uh mm-hmm. something that's just how business works because of a screw up of a coach um, I've had to do it because I screwed up. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. That's kind of the name of business. But, um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's just it works just like any other job force. Um, I think a lot of people come into this industry for the wrong reasons, though. And they do it because they work out and they want to make a little extra side money. Yeah. And they don't actually give a shit to help anyone. They don't care. And they're not looking to make it a career anyway. They're making a, a buck here. Until mm-hmm. they move on to whatever it is they're going to do. So, is that um, something you can kind of tell during the interview, or does that take some time when you can? It usually see? takes some time to see like what their path is because, um, I've had people that came in that, you know, had second jobs, or I knew they were going to, going to go to school for something else, yeah, or whatever, and they did great and everything, you know, worked well and and stuff, um, and then you know we've seen people that came in that this was their their passion, what they want to do as a career and that, you know, all that. And then they just up and quit, you know, and they leave the industry or whatever yeah. they end up doing. Um, so it's one of those things. It's, it's kind of hard to tell in that initial process and everyone's coming in with a exercise science degree or yeah. whatever, you know, um, I've had people uh, put in their, their resumes that have master's degrees that I didn't even call them. So all that mm-hmm. doesn't matter to me. I'm looking at uh, for specific things whenever I actually do bring someone in. Um, I've had people say, hey, I've got 20 clients and I want to come over there and train and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to bring them all and all that. Half the time that ends up being bullshit if they have that many yeah. clients. But there's people like that. I never even answered their email back. Um, you know, I never gave them an interview or anything because we're in semi-small town. So like I can usually find out what I need yeah. to know. yeah quickly um it's not hard to kind of look people up and especially within the exercise and fitness world it's a pretty close niche yeah place the one i want to ask about because as soon as we start talking about bringing on coaches the story of the coaches who come in saying what they expect for their salary Mm. so two things one what is your immediate reaction to that why but the other one is (laughs) um what does that end up telling you about them as a person because you know you're talking about career versus side hustle yeah. and expectations and you know how yeah, I think the ones that come <laughs> in I mean the, the the funniest one is the guy that 
he wanted to come over and I, I knew the gym he was coming over from and I knew there was no way he was making, you know, this type of money there. But, um, you know, he, he said something along the lines, like he was all for, you know, coming in, helping us out, like, mm-hmm. you know, gung ho and all that. But then in the very, like the very last email to set up the whole interview process, he says, yeah, he, uh, but if I'm, I need to make, I think it was like $55,000 a year salary <laughs> to make it worth it. And I, well, we all, I mean, I shared that email with everyone laughing because, okay, first of all, like I know the gym you're coming from, I know you're not getting paid $55,000 a year. Right. Um, there's no, there's absolutely no way Two, what world are you living in? Even commercial gyms, like you know, I guarantee powerhouse down the road, they probably pay their their uh, manager of the gym. I, I if I had to take a stab, probably forty forty five grand a year tops. Okay. That's tops. I mean, that's a pretty big gym. It's unless well they're getting like you know some training kickbacks and stuff too. I, yeah. I don't know who's the manager over there. Don't quote me on it. But like even big commercial gyms, um, if you're able to get thirty grand a year to be the manager, that's mm-hmm. you're getting paid decently. Um, you know, I know the gyms we that I was at before with the guy. He got, um, I think it was like a twenty or twenty five thousand dollar a year salary, and then he actually bought in to the company, mm-hmm. and he ended up getting like ten percent or fifteen percent of the company or something like that. Um, so there's instances like that, but like at a gym that that guy was doing, um, what's he doing? Quick multiplication here. I mean, he was probably doing a million, just over a million in revenue a year. So it wasn't mm-hmm. a tiny gym by any right. means. And he was paying his gym manager $25,000 a year. Yep. You know, because the overhead costs and everything of those gyms are high. So you're not, they're not going to up those overheads by paying you way more. To, Another 30 to 35 yeah. grand. Yeah. Plus, you know, the amount of employees it takes to run those bigger gyms too. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, the, when you come in and you're expecting some, high pay you're i mean definitely here you're never you're not going to get that until you prove yourself and yeah. if you can prove yourself sure you, you, i do pay the highest percentage of any gym around here for personal training um but if you if you can't get clients you can't get paid more it's that simple yeah i don't set a cap on the number of clients you can have so if you walk in here and you pull in 40 clients like that i'm not saying okay i can't i can't your percentage that high your percentage is still the percentage yeah so there's yeah. no cap on it you can make as much money as you want in here but it's on you exactly you know and with me not taking on i don't really pull too many people from the gym anymore most of mine are uh word of mouth clients from online mm-hmm. or maybe they do come here but they know right away that they're they want to train with me or something but yeah um i don't pull too many straight from the gym uh it's it's kind of a rare occasion so um Let's move on out of that question. There. Sounds good. Yeah. Talk on that one for a while. Um, let's see. Which one did I want to get to next? Um, bulking and cutting, going up or down in weight classes, when or if you should. Um, this one, you know, a lot of people get into this whenever they start powerlifting because they want to be more competitive. Yeah. So they try to restrict what weight class they're in. Um, this is kind of an easy answer. You should always be kind of looking to gain uh, muscle, gain you know lean mass over time. And if you go up in weight classes, generally you're going to be better by doing that. And you're going to be 
um, you're going to have a higher total. Your, you know, Wilkes that everyone wants to go by is probably going to go up. Mm-hmm. Um, now you might reach a point, you know, let's say you started, um, you know, like I started in the 198 class and then I went to 220 mm-hmm. and I only did one 220 meet and then I went straight to the 242s and that's where I've been. Um, and I went back down for one time at 220 since then. Yeah. So I've maintained, you know, and kept my body weight up at that, you know, 238 to 245 body weight for a while now. Um, and my total, so my best total at 198, I believe was 1549 in sleeves. And when okay. I, when I went up to 220, when I hit at 220, I went into the 1600s at 220. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was like, I want to say like 1620 something. I okay. can't remember my, Exactly, but I think it was sixteen twenty something. Um, not much longer later, it was a few months later. To be honest, I went to the two forty twos and I hit seventeen. I think seventeen oh one or something mm-hmm. at my first two forty two meet, and then I hit seventeen ninety five, and then you know now I've hit eighteen fifty seven, and um, hopefully this next meet we're pushing over nineteen hundred. You know, yeah. so if I want to go back okay. down, um, when I did go back down for that two twenty meet, mm-hmm. um, I ended up with like a hundred and twenty pound meet PR at 220 because I had stayed cut my weight up gained all that strength and then I decided to cut back now why I didn't have an overall total PR I still PR'd my 220 and it it was a bad meet for me I I honestly probably still had a shot at uh, getting close to an uh, all-time total PR but I just you know I screwed up my um, my meet that's all there's 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 no way around it Screwed it up. So, um, yeah, what I always advise is like, unless you're someone, you know, we might get someone that's uh, has a little bit more body fat to them, mm-hmm. things like that. So we just want to maintain, see where you're at. Let's get your diet under control. Let's get you working out. Let's just see where you're going to sit first. Then from there, let's decide. Okay. You know, if you're someone, um, like some of these females that we have that will sit at like 150, 151, and they need to go to 148. Okay, not bad. We can go to 148. Yeah. Um, but it, it mainly happens, honestly, it's in the guys a lot of times they want to restrict their weight to be more competitive and they think they're going to remain really strong. So um, someone that found that out was like Austin wanted to stay down a weight class for forever, it seemed mm-hmm. like. And I kept telling him for about a year, like, hey, you need to go up, you need to go up. Well, when he finally did, his weight started shooting up. Because yeah. he wasn't restricting his body weight as much anymore. Um, so generally, you know, if you go up, you're going to uh, increase your strength. You're going to be able to uh, do better. As far as, like, bulking and cutting go, um, that's not really something we do in powerlifting too much. And, you know, we might recomp um, some people here and there once in a while. It depends. Like... If you are holding um, a little bit more body fat, let's say, and it's hindering your leverages on deadlifts or mm-hmm. um, squats or something like that, that you can't maintain a, a better torso angle and stuff like that, then yeah, it makes sense to let's lose some body fat, get it out of the way yep. so your body can mechanically move better. Yeah. So yes, it does make sense to restructure. Um, that would begin in a very early in an off season to get it done and figure out where you're going to sit. Um, 
you know, I have a lifter going through it now, just competed, you know, a month ago, five weeks ago or whatever, and now she's working to recomp. And we're, you know, six weeks into the off season. So mm-hmm. that's the time to start to do it. And she probably won't compete for, um, you know, at least another nine or ten months most likely. So, yeah. Um, you know, we'll see how things shake out. But that's kind of the time to do it. Makes um, sense. And then you also have to remember, I, I, you know, I know if on your end that – when you add weight, lose weight, anything like that, you know, it, it does task your body a little bit differently. So understanding yep. your recovery is going to be a little bit different too. So especially these guys that maybe were 220s and then they end up in the 275, 308 class, you know, after a few yeah. years, your body is working completely different um, than it was at 220. So Usually that conversation is the second one, and we can talk about that at a different time, yeah. but just a note on it. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that gets answered is you know from justin's perspective like would it be mechanically or competitively uh, favorable for you to either gain or lose weight and then uh after that then i would be able to step in and say okay now that we're going to you know take on this process of either losing or gaining here are some things that you're going to notice when that happens and here's how we can address it you do want to address the recovery mm-hmm. differences as you're going through but you don't necessarily make the decision on you know gaining or losing weight you know, based on the recovery. Yeah. Like yeah. You probably think of some exceptions to that rule, but for the most part, no. You do want to take it into consideration, though. All right. Moving on, we're going to kind of straight shoot through some of these. Um, how big is the impact of consuming alcohol, alcohol when you're trying to put on muscle? Um, if you can limit it, limit it. Obviously, it's going to hinder your progress. <laughs> um, there is evidence of... Uh, you know, limited protein synthesis whenever after consuming alcohol, I mm-hmm. believe it's like 12 hours, 14 hour range or something. It might be a little bit longer. Um, I can't remember that time frame exactly, but um, I thought it was funny because this question, uh, Stan Efferdine just posted oh, did he? the other day. It said something like, it was a DM, it looked like, and it was like, I'm 22 and all my friends are like, you know, basically all of his friends always want to go out drinking and things like that. Oh yeah. How do I, <laughs> how do I, um, what do you say? Like, how do I, uh, focus on my physique or whatever when that's all my friends want to do and you know, my diet and things like that. And Stan Everdeen just replied, like get new friends. And that's the <laughs> truth. You're, you're going to have to, you know, limit your exposure to that. And you know what, if you want to go out with your friends, like sure that, you know, if you're hindering your sleep, that's going to be another factor. But nothing says you can't go out and, um, you know, have a Diet Coke or something. Yeah, just it's, don't drink. Yeah, you don't have to drink alcohol because you're out. Uh, coming from the guy that used to get hammered. <laughs> um, but I, you know what? I've lived and learned. And when I wasn't um, out drinking as much, you know, when I was younger, I did see the results from it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So there are, I was uh, telling Justin when we were talking about the Q&A questions that this is actually a topic that I'm about to do a graduate project for one of my classes on, is the effect of alcohol on performance and the different things. And most people would look at it pretty acutely. Like you were saying, like the protein synthesis between like the 12 to 24 hour period, it does have, like, take the obvious ones as far as dehydration, et cetera, the effect Mm -hmm. on sleep. Um, the release of GABA as opposed to like glutamate, all kinds of stuff. So throw that out the window. You have a 72-hour period afterward that your body is trying to recover from what you did to it. Mm. And it, it's not even like hangover. Yeah, I think there isn't there like a hydration uh, issues or something for, I think it's like 
I think it is about 72 hours yeah. after your body doesn't like um, doesn't utilize water as it should. There's a whole electrolyte yeah. imbalance that yeah. goes on. The other one that's really interesting, I learned this, uh, is just one of the deciding factors when I stopped pretty much like all drinking mm-hmm. um, about eight, eight, nine years ago. Um, and I'll occasionally have like a glass of wine or something like that. It's very rare going through because I, I don't process alcohol well at all. So it just doesn't sit well with me no matter how much. But the study showed that there was so a... a lightweight. He's I am. A, I'm, an, he's a, he's I'm a, a super cheap, cheap date. date. <laughs> Take him out and get him hammered. One drink. I just like smell a shot and I'm drunk. Done. Um, it showed that people had disturbances to their nervous system related to performance for 21 days mm-hmm. after a serious night of drinking. Yeah, that's crazy. It takes a really long time for your nervous system, and not endocrine, not electrolyte balance, not hydration, like all of that. You know, you're talking a couple of days going through, depending on what it is. But they saw disturbances in performance mm-hmm. at the neurological level for up to three weeks after. Unless you're from Kentucky. Well, yeah, then, and then you just like grow up on then bourbon. Some, and you're then fine. somehow <laughs> they can still lift heavy afterwards. You guys are assholes. So, but so you could have people in like the early 20s who they're still in that phase of like, I want to go out drinking with my friends every single weekend and not realize that, okay, just because you don't have the hangover on Monday morning mm-hmm. from Saturday night, you're still having disturbances throughout that entire week. And then you're like, oh, I'm fine. I'm going to go out again. And you've never recovered. You're yeah. constantly in this cycle of having things be interrupted, whether it's the sleep cycle, whether it's the protein th- synthesis, mm-hmm. whether it's electrolyte imbalance. Yeah. They have no concept of what it means to recover because they're going from one weekend to the next it's crazy bro i'll just sweat that out tomorrow (laughs) i'll be fine no you won't so um all right one more here um got time for one more most effective way to incorporate conditioning into off-season training um i would say the most effective way is you know simply start by cutting down your rest periods between your accessories to you know that'll obviously get your heart rate up but then doing things like you know supersets um mm-hmm. small circuits start light don't go ham on anything you don't you know you're not a crossfitter keep it light at first um something i really like are interval rows so i'll have people do um like 20 to 30 seconds as hard as they can go mm-hmm. especially on the 20 second side at first 20 seconds hard as you can go and then i'll, I'll do a one-to-one so they'll rest for the same amount of time, yeah. 20 30 seconds um, and we'll only do um, maybe like seven rounds of that. Nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. But you'll be surprised how much your, your heart yeah. will jack up. Um, so doing things like that or uh, intervals on the bike or you know, simply just doing um, even extended cardio incline walks, things like that, yeah. just to, to, to get um, – how do I say this? for more energy expenditure more than anything and to keep that that heart rate elevated for a, a extended period of yeah. time so um it just depends again what's your conditioning level because there are some people that can handle a little bit more yeah. where we can almost do full-blown circuits with them mm-hmm. um now understand that hit training you know there is that balance of incorporating hip training with what you're doing still, but you're, you're, the idea is you're not doing as much barbell work. You're not lifting as heavy. Yeah. So that fatigue you're going to feel from the hit training 
you sh- shouldn't affect you as much on the barbell end. Right. Um, now you wouldn't want to like continue that hit training two weeks out from a meet. No. Yeah, but um, again, it, it just depends on what kind of condition you're in and then uh, where you're at in your cycle. Uh, I would always incorporate it earlier and start to work up and you know, slowly work up to what you think is optimal for, for yourself. So I think that's the most important part of what you said is you need to figure out what your current condition level is, mm-hmm. not what you want to get to. Yeah. So if you haven't been doing anything because you've just gone through a competition cycle and there's not conditioning aspects going in, you, doing the supersets, doing the shorter rest periods in between is a really good way, not the only way, but a good way to start seeing what your condition level is. Like mm-hmm. if you do a superset and you're gassed at the end of it, well, then you probably shouldn't be going and try to do hit three times a week or like doing these yeah. high intervals um, because you just won't be able to handle it. But if you say, hey, I'm going to do the supersets and then week two, I'm going to say, I'm going to take one day and do the rowing intervals or some example like that. See how you do following that. Can you add another day and still be able to get all the workout in that you need to? Uh, if you add the second day in and you're just wrecked, it's like you need to take some time right there. But that first phase of just assessing yourself and figuring out what your conditioning level is is like one of the most important parts yeah um regardless of where you want to get to with it i'm I'm kind of a fan of like some strongman movements too i'll call them that um because it does have carryover so like if you're doing uh farmer walks things like that trap bar walks because in that you still have to utilize a lot of core you still have to utilize a lot of muscle groups mm-hmm. you have to actually lift the weight up um, but then you walk with it, and if you've ever done those, you'll you will get. It's out brutal. Of, yeah, you will get out of breath. Um, so things like that, you know, you don't need five minutes between your sets. It's a minute between a set. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that. Um, to start incorporating those. Um, some people go overboard with like that and sleds and everything else, and um, it, it just it's not going to work the same way as if you actually get down to it and move your body. Um, you know, it's two, it's two completely different types of, you know, quote unquote cardio. So, right. And I think um, that's important without going too deep into it is letting people understand that when you say conditioning, that's a really broad term. Yeah. yeah. Like there are all kinds of things and we're not, I don't just mean like all kinds of different movements, but there's different port or, uh, things that make up conditioning. Mm-hmm. Like the level of conditioning that you get when you do strongman is going to be very different than doing interval training, which is going to be different than doing, you know, uh, a weighted ruck walk yeah. or an incline walk. Like these are all different things. So when you say, what's the best way to get into it? Well, one of them is like, yeah, you figure out where you are with it and you kind of build up slow. But the other one is like you experiment with a couple of them. Yeah. Like you try a couple of them out. Like if you think that the best way to condition is hopping on a rower and you hate rowing, then, you know, try out one of these other ones and see what the effect is going to be when you do some strongman movements, when you do the treadmill walking, that kind of stuff. Um, that's where I'd start with it. Yeah, and I would say the bigger ones, like, don't go, you know, don't go get into sprints or something right away, especially if you haven't done them in no, years. No, please don't, don't. You know, don't go run two miles right away. Like, pace it up. Um, There's a lot of science to figure out like how you want to pace yourself yeah. going into these things, and jumping right into the deep end of it is not the best way to yeah. do it. Actually, you know, you pull a hammy, and then you can't do anything. So, right. um, yeah, that's about it for today. Uh, we just wanted to answer a couple questions as quick as we could. So, um, we got uh, what, another podcast. 
Uh, we got one coming out tomorrow, and then yep. this one will be out uh, the week of the uh, come out on October fourteenth. Um, yeah, stay tuned for some some different announcements and things. Keep sending in the questions. That will help us uh, come up with more topics to talk about. And we like doing these where we can take a whole episode and just answer a couple quick questions. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it for today, and we'll see you guys later. Have a good one.